Good morning, ABC. Thank you guys for being here. My name is Sean Russell, and we're glad you guys tuned in. Uh, before we get started this morning and jump into this morning's message, I wanted to just share a few announcements and things going on here at the church, uh, both today and in the next couple weeks to keep you guys plugged in and connected. Uh, the first is our missions conference. We're going to be hosting our missions conference this evening right here at church. It starts at 5 p.m. with a dinner. Uh, we'll have a main session, breakout sessions, and even a kids program. Um, so we just invite you to join us. Uh, come and hear uh, what our missionaries and strategic partners are doing and how their ministries are impacting uh, the world for Christ. Uh, again, it's this evening, missions conference, 5 p.m. right here at church. Hope you guys can join us. Uh, with Halloween right around the corner, we have another event uh, that we hope you guys can join us for and help participate in. Uh, ABC is proud to partner with several of our churches here in the community for Light Up the Night. It's on Saturday, October 30th from 6 to 8 p.m. It's out on a property off Del Rio Road hosted by uh, Legacy Church. And again, in order to make this happen and bless some of the families with a fun and safe Halloween experience, uh, we need you. Uh, we need you to help uh, set up maybe a booth, uh, donate some candy, or just be a part of the event. Um, again, it's Saturday, October 30th from 6 to 8 p.m., light up the night. If you're interested or available, please reach out to Sandy at uh, sandy at abcchurch.org. Stop by the office or call and, uh, and help get involved with light up the night. Again, Saturday, October 30th from 6 to 8 p.m. ABC Church is once again hosting the Awaken Conference on Friday and Saturday, November 12th and 13th right here on campus. Uh, this conference is, uh, fills up every single year, um, so we just urge you to get out there and sign your kids up and be a part of it. Uh, it always has challenging messages, great food, a ton of fun, and this year we're really excited about the master classes, which um, takes some of the professionals that uh, call this church home and beyond um, and allows them to speak into the lives of some of our youth and how God works through their specific industry. So again, Awaken November 12th and 13th right here on campus. Sign up uh, today and get your kids involved. Uh, it's going to be an amazing experience. We hope you guys have a great morning, and thanks for tuning in. Well, good morning, and thanks for joining us online. Uh, I wanted to mention, as we're getting started this morning, tonight, if you happen to be watching this on Sunday morning, um, is our missions conference at ABC. And really, uh, conference is a big word. It's really a missions dinner and we're doing that on campus at ABC. Tonight at, tonight at 5 o'clock, we're going to meet up in the gym for dinner. And then uh, we have a, a guest speaker, Bob Engel, who's one of our supportive missionaries with World Impact, who's going to be here to share. And then we have breakouts um, with five different missionaries that are going to be sharing in different rooms. And you'll have an opportunity to hear about their ministry. So I would love for you to join us um, if you want to come on down and, uh, and just get a, a little taste of what God is doing in the world through global missions and through the partnerships that we're privileged to be a part of here at ABC. So um, that's again tonight, Sunday, um, 5 p.m. on campus at ABC if you want to join us. Uh, we're in our series through Titus. We're actually starting this morning chapter 3, which is the final chapter of Titus, and uh, we'll be finishing this in just a few weeks. Um, but really what, what this book does, um, not just Titus, but really the entire Word of God, is it seems to correct or address things that the world gets wrong. As I read through this, I think, yeah, it looks like we've got that wrong. The world, uh, culture, secular, whatever way you want to look at that, seems to get this wrong, and the Bible gives us a proper way or an appropriate way of looking at things. One of those things this morning is respect. This idea of respect, the world so often gets wrong. You've probably heard the saying, um, respect is not given, it's earned. 
And I kind of know what that means. You you can understand the sentiment that really, you know, some people don't necessarily deserve respect if they haven't earned it. Um, here's a few other things that the world says about respect. Uh, a few of them are, are even a little funny. Uh, first, it says, you can't show respect if they don't give you respect. Okay, well, that's sort of fair. Same kind of sentiment. Um, you expect me to respect you, but you don't respect yourself. Okay, some kind of self-esteem talk here. Listen to this one, though. This is like a, a famous rapper that wrote this one, or at least quoted it. He says, people won't respect you until you get disrespectful. Okay, whatever that means. And then uh, there's, this one's confusing to me. Don't respect her because she is a woman. Respect her because you are a man. I have no idea what that means. Uh, very interesting. I don't hate you. I just don't respect you. Another quote. I love him. I just don't respect him. Maybe you've heard that before. Sometimes you need to disrespect to show that you were respectful. Doesn't make any sense to me, but I get the sentiment. Respect is for those who deserve it, not for those who demand it. And on and on and on. You've probably seen the memes online or the little quote windows, um, or maybe heard people say all of these different ideas of respect. Some of them kind of random, some of them not making much sense. But the bottom line this morning, as we look to the word of God to correct our understanding of what respect means, here's what I think God is calling us to, uh, is to respect with generosity. Give out respect freely. Don't expect that respect would need to be earned. Do it anyway. Give respect. Respect, contrary to popular belief, does not need to be earned. You can respect those who haven't earned it. And in fact, as Christians, we're called specifically in Scripture to do so. To, uh, turn to Titus with me if you've got your Bible. Um, if you don't have a Bible there handy, maybe even take a minute to go grab one. Um, or open up your phone and uh, you can go to Titus on your phone. Or uh, follow along on the screen here. But in chapter 3, we're going to read through this passage uh, just a couple of verses at a time here. So in chapter 3, it says, Remind them, this is Paul charging Titus, saying, Titus, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Now let me stop there for just a second. If you were a Christian in Crete and Titus was calling you or reminding you to be respectful of authority, there are a lot of people who would have paused and said, wait, what? Do you know who the authority is? And remind, let me remind you that the, the leader there at the time was Nero, the, uh, an immoral, unrespectable, selfishly motivated, arrogant, and egotistical leader. And Titus is reminding the Christians in Crete to say, Hey, remember to respect authority or submit to authority. Remember that uh, you need to be obedient and ready for every good work. And he's calling these people who are in this city, this town of unrest, of, of just political chaos and turmoil, to be respectful of leaders. And even today, if you were to hear me say that, or if you were to read this passage and apply it to our situation today, you might question the biblical call to respect authority because maybe you feel like our authority at times is not respectable, maybe not honorable. You might 
ask me if I have seen the news or if I've seen these people or heard of their character. The question is not whether or not they're honorable or respectable. The question is, will we do what God has called us to do and respect willingly and freely? Let's keep reading for a second. So then verse 3, he says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. So why should I respect uh, leaders who are not respectable? Because for you were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions. Don't forget, you were once unworthy of respect, undignified, disobedient, and at the same depraved state as you may see some of the leaders of the day being. And then in verse four, he says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. And so I join the plight of Titus in saying this morning at Tascadero Bible Church, respect others respect authority, respect who God has called you to be, and respect those who he's put around you and in your world. It's a very simple and yet very challenging call this morning to be respectful. It's the bottom line of the passage as I read through that, and I ask, what is Paul really charging Titus to communicate to the church in Crete? Be respectful. I think that's the bottom line. Be honorable. Um, have have a, a good, courteous approach towards everyone you meet, towards the leadership that's in your community, in your state, in your country. Be respectful. Firstly, he starts off right there at the beginning of chapter one or ch- chapter three. Respect authority. If you're following along on the outline, it's the first point there. Respect your authority. They may have not earned it. They may not deserve it. Do it anyway. Uh, Polybius is a historian who writes of this season in Crete as Paul addresses Titus to the church here in Crete. He says, They were constantly involved in insurrections, murders, and internecine wars. Crete had been subjugated by Rome in 67 BC and since then had been continuously restive under the Roman colonial yoke. And Paul here was hinting at the insubordinate spirit of Cretan Christians, that they were unwilling to submit themselves to the leadership that was instituted by Rome, and therefore there was uprising, there was upheaval in the community. And although they may be foolish and disobedient and deceived, is what Paul is saying, show honor and respect anyway. I get it. It doesn't feel like maybe you should. They may not have earned it. It doesn't seem like you should should try to give people the benefit of the doubt, but he's saying be respectful. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, be a good citizen, irrespective of how others are behaving. There are cultural and present day... um, examples of this all over the place. And in fact, the last 10 years, um, really from a political climate, um, if you kind of glance back at the last eight to 10 years or so, um, the, the thing that I hear people um, grieving over the most is the fact that um, our leadership, particularly the federal leadership of our country, seems to be 
less honorable and less respectful. I think, uh, you know, one of the things that I hear people talk about, you know, it, it is the, the character that, that once the presidency, for instance, of the United States was a, as a position of honor and, and that you would have an honorable person, that there was a um, character person, you know, that was sort of esteemed and you could show the due respect to that kind of position, pr- present the positional authority um, to that person. And in, in, in the recent years, it feels like it's kind of gone, uh, you know, a little bit sideways in terms of that honorability, so to speak. And the problem is now as a culture, we feel so free to throw around terms like the Big Orange or Sleepy Joe and, you know, make references like the the Let's Go Brandon kind of chant thing. Maybe you've heard of that. There's all these um, sort of disrespectful phrases, terms, names, chants, whatever you want to call it, because people feel like I don't need to respect that person. I don't need to honor that person. They've done nothing to earn my respect. They have nothing to deserve my my honor. And so therefore, I don't have to treat somebody with dignity or respect. I'm just going to say it like it is. I'm going to call out the, the hypocrisy that I see. And Paul was saying of this group in Crete, dealing with the exact same kind of challenges, looking at a leader that did not have personal morality that they could look up to. He was saying, I don't care if they're respectable. Honor the leadership anyway, instituted by God. Respect authority. There is no limit to the respect that we are called as Christians to administer. There is, however, now you may be wondering, well, where's the line for this charge to submit and be obedient, um, to, uh, to continue to obey the authorities? There, there is no line to administering respect. There is, however, an, a, a line in which we can draw between respect and abiding. The government has a responsibility here. It says for every good work, the government has a responsibility to promote good and to punish evil. Those are the two primary responsibilities of the state. In fact, Romans chapter 13, verse 3 uh, is, chapter 13 of Romans, by the way, is, is often referenced when, when you talk about submission to authority and um, obeying the laws of the land, so to speak. But listen to what it says. This is what Paul clearly says in Romans 13 about um, our requirement as Christians to submit to authority. In chapter 13, verse 3, says, For rulers are not a terror to good conduct. Consider that. Rulers, leaders, are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. There is a clear responsibility. They are to administer good and to punish evil. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on wrongdoing. Very clear here in Romans chapter 13, verse 3. The job of the state, the ordination of the state by God, is to administer good, justice, and to punish evil. And so th- there becomes a limit for us as Christians. We say, yeah, we, sh- we certainly administer respect. We dish out respect. We are honorable. We are courteous is the word that he uses here. But, but there's a limit to how long we submit and obey and abide. John Stott says it really well. He says, the emphasis on whatever is good not only clarifies our responsibility, but it limits it. We cannot cooperate with the state if it reverses its God-given duty, promoting evil instead of punishing it and opposing good instead of rewarding and furthering it. 
The state has a clear call from God in scripture to administer justice, promoting what's good, punishing evil. When they step into the sovereignty of household or church, whose responsibility is the administration of the family and of morality, then they've overstepped outside of the bounds of what God has called the state to do. And this is why Paul urges the, the Corinthian church, go into 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he just urges them, stay out of the court of the world. They're called to administer justice, not morality. So when you have a family issue, a family matter, a dispute, don't take it to the court of the world. They're not equipped to facilitate that. Keep that in the church. The church has clear responsibility and authority in administering morality, the family, the family units and family matters, and the the state or the government, justice, the administration of good and the punishing of evil. Yet, respect in all categories remains unconditional. And so this clear call to the Cretan Christians, or Cretan Christians, I should say, uh, are, is to continue to respect, continue to honor, continue to uphold what is good. Be a good citizen. Show kindness. Give people the benefit of the doubt. Respect others. Verse 2 says, Speak evil of no one. Avoid quarreling. Be gentle. Show perfect courtesy towards our, all people. For we ourselves were once foolish. So when he turns this corner... I think Paul is showing and displaying this concept that there's a group of enlightened people, that's Christians, they have the truth and they've seen it, and there's a group of ignorant people. Don't hold their ignorance against them is basically what he's saying. Recognize that they may not have the same truth, they may not have the same realization that you have through God's word, through scripture, and so in in some sense they have an excuse. Now, I know nobody wants to give others a pass, especially nowadays. Nobody wants to assume that someone else has um, an excusable offense. They may not be enlightened, though, is what Paul is saying, by the truth that you have. And so give them the benefit of the doubt and show kindness. Do they deserve it? It doesn't matter. Be respectful. Show true, genuine humility, like it says in Philippians 2. Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but consider others better than yourselves. Be respectful, be honorable, be kind. Give people the benefit of the doubt. Remember that you were once there too. That's the corner he turns here in verse 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions. You were there too. There was a season in your life when you were not enlightened, when you didn't have the truth, when you didn't know the way of God or the way of Christ, and you also were living in ignorance. So don't hold it against them. You might disagree with that sentiment or mentality, but this is the way Jesus says it in Luke chapter 23. He's being beaten. He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The exact mentality of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 2, Paul says, none of the rulers of this age understood it. They didn't get what was being taught. So don't hold it against them. They're they're walking in ignorance. If you were blind, it says, Jesus says in John 9, You would have no guilt, but now you say we see. If your eyes have been opened, if you've received the light, the truth, then you now have, have no excuse, and yet others do. 
And that's really hard for us because the justice in us wants to hold everyone to the same level and degree of accountability that we are held to because of the truth that we have and what God is calling us to, what Paul is saying here and what Jesus has said repeatedly is that they have not the same truth that you have. And so you're held to a different degree of responsibility and accountability for that truth. Don't hold others to the same degree. Show honor, show respect, give people the benefit of the doubt. There's this this really challenging dialogue uh, Jesus has in Matthew chapter 11. He's talking about different cities. He starts off, I think there are three cities, but he starts off with Capernaum. And he talks about how they've seen miracles. They've seen the works of God, the acts of God, and yet they haven't received. And so he condemns them, condemns the cities that have seen what God can do, that have seen the, the amazing supernatural works of Christ and yet have not embraced the truth of Christ. They're far, far worse off than those that haven't received. In fact, he even says at the end of that passage, you go look it up. I think it's like the last few verses of chapter 11 in Matthew. He says, if Sodom, meaning that wicked city from the Old Testament, you remember the, the story of the city of Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah? He says, if Sodom would have seen the same things you saw, if they would have seen the same miracles that you saw, they'd still be here today. In other words, he's assuming they'd have repented if they had the information you have. If they got to see the miracles you got to see, they would have certainly repented and they'd still be here today. They're not held to the same degree of accountability, although Sodom was, but those operating in ignorance, without having seen the miracles of Christ, without having embraced the truth or had their eyes open to the truth of Christ, are not held to the same degree of accountability. And so Paul writes to Titus, This world is not only foolish, but also deceived, not only disobedient, but also enslaved. That's where you once were, and that's where they are. So show them some respect, show them honor, and by doing so, you may show them the truth of God and win them over. Because although they may be living in ignorance, their ignorance is leading them to the grave, and although you may be held to a different degree of responsibility and accountability, your enlightenment, your open eyes, your truth is leading you to everlasting life. And so show honor, show respect that you may win them over. Acknowledge the powerful work of evil in the world and don't hold it against them because you were once there too. We Christians have been redeemed from ignorance. Praise God for that. We've, we've seen truth, we've read it, we've adopted it, we've been taught it. We have a greater degree of expectation as a result. In Luke chapter 12, when Jesus is talking about talents, he's saying everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required. That's our plight. We will be required to give an account for what we've received and what we've done with what we've received. So Paul writes to the church in Crete, yes, you were once ignorant too. But, verse 4, look at verse 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. And so, yes, we respect authority. It's where we started. Then we respect others. Respect everyone, regardless of their ignorance, regardless of their understanding of gospel truth. Respect, honor, be courteous and kind. And then finally, we see this idea of respecting ourselves. 
Now, I don't mean this in some kind of self-esteem, self-respect, sort of arrogant posturing sort of way. No, I'm talking about respecting the identity that you've been given in Christ. Respect what God has done for you and through you with enough respect to honor that calling, honor that identity in showing others love. He saved us is the word, verse 5. I love how it just says it so clearly and yet um, also in past tense as a completed, done, past um, act, work that needs no more um, embellishing. He saved us. And the saving was done um, in the word and in the spirit. Look, look at the end of verse 5. So he says, according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration. So the washing word that's used here is the same word that's used in Ephesians 5 when, um, when Paul's comparing um, Christ's love for the church to the, the love of a, a husband has for his wife. And he says it in Ephesians 5 that uh, the sanctification or the holiness that we receive as the church is done by the washing of water of the word. So the word of God, the truth of God's word, washes us like water washes us clean and presents us spotless and blameless before him someday. Same word used here, the washing of water of the word. That's how the saving's done, first and foremost. Secondly, it's done by the work of the Spirit. So if you finish verse 5, it says the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Very clear that we're regenerated by the word and renewed by the Spirit. And so, therefore, our identity, we now stand morally, righteously, and socially identifiable with Jesus Christ. Honorable, redeemed people. Respect that. Respect the new identity that you have, that he's paid a high price for you, that he has given you a new identity, clothed you in righteousness, that it it cost him something to do that, that he's given you a, a new path forward, a new mission, and a new future, and that you've received that through the washing of the water of the word, and you've received it through the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, and that God has called you to embrace this new identity and live in that with with as much um, confidence as he expects for his people, with the same degree of desire that he's called his church to walk forward in this beautiful new calling. As he compares the, the husband's love towards his bride to Christ's love for the church, with that same degree of desire that he walks, that the husband walks towards the wife and the wife towards the husband, that we would call ourselves the bride of Christ because of the desire we have for our husband. That's the respect of our identity as Christians. So respect yourself. Respect the identity God has given you as a result of his great sacrifice. And respect others with the same degree of respect you've gained from your new identity in Christ. Not everyone will measure up to your expectation. Respect them anyway. They may not earn your respect, Respect them anyway. Remember, you were once ignorant too. There's a, um, I really appreciate how Paul, if you just kind of run through verse five through eight, it's the last part of our, our passage today. He bookends this passage with, um, with good works. So first he says in verse five, he saved us not because of works done by us. That's really important. It's central to the gospel, the understanding that we are not saved by any good work that we could possibly do. There's nothing good enough to earn a position at the table. 
There's nothing good enough to wash or regenerate us into this new, newly identified Christian. No good work. So he starts there, but then he finishes. Let me uh, read verse 7 and 8. So that by being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That's the gospel. We'll come back to that. So that by being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And then verse 8, the, the saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. The saying is trustworthy. The fact that you have a new identity, that you've been saved, redeemed, called as Christians, this is a trustworthy saying. He says, devote yourselves, those of you who follow God, devote yourselves to good works. So he says, you're saved not by any works of righteousness, not because you did anything good. And at the bottom he says, but then devote yourselves to good works. It's sandwiched in. The gospel is right in the middle of those two principles that you are not saved by good works, but because you are saved, then go do good works. Not because, but, but then go. It's like a cause and effect. So you were saved, and so then go do good works. You weren't saved by the good works, but then go do them. Saved not because of good works, but careful to devote yourselves to good works. The amazing thing as we process through this is we understand that there's just absolutely no reason why you and me could be called Christians, could be called sons and daughters of God other than the grace of Jesus Christ. And so when I say self-respect or respect yourself, has very little to do with what you've attained. Has very little to do with your accomplishments. In fact, has nothing to do with your accomplishments and everything to do with what Christ did for you. But the hope and the call here is that Christians everywhere who read this would be motivated to good works, would be motivated to good citizenship, would be motivated to be honorable, honoring, respectful, respectable people, that we would pass out respect freely that we would honor, and, and I just, again, love the word that he says, showing perfect courtesy. Man, that is a principle lacking in our world, isn't it? Perfect courtesy. When's the last time you saw someone that showed perfect courtesy out in the community or on social media or in, in, in a letter that was written or in some kind of statement or on the news? Perfect courtesy, a lost art that we could all do well to embrace. We are not ignorant. We are not deceived. We are not immature or foolish, although we once were. But we received the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ who saved us, not because of anything good we did, but because he himself is good. So therefore go do good. Saved not because we were good, but saved by a good savior so that we could go do good. Be kind, gentle, submissive, thoughtful, respectful, do good. Others may not deserve it. They may not reciprocate it. They may not appreciate it, but do it anyway. Go do good. Because when we stop for long enough to evaluate our position, which is I think what Paul is getting at here in verse 3, Remembering that we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves of various passions, pleasures, passing our days with malice and envy. He goes on down the list, and he's just reminding us, stop for long enough to remember where you came from. 
and allow that to present a context in which you stand humbly before the throne of God, small, unworthy, not not proud and puffed up and capable. When you remember your position, when you stop for long enough to think, where did I come from? How large am I really? How righteous am I really before God? Then the response, the natural response is, who am I to withhold respect from anybody? Look at, look at me. Look at my life. Who am I to do anything other than what God has laid out for me in Scripture? Who am I to think I deserve something more? To think that, that someone else doesn't deserve what I'm called to give them. Who am I? I want to address a, a, maybe a, a concern, confusion, maybe just a stirring that, that may come up for you. When I say the word self-respect or I say show your respect yourself, there's a chance that, that you're watching and, and that's a really hard concept for you because the world has told you that you're not valuable, that you're not worth anything. Uh, maybe your circumstances um, have built for you a narrative that you're, you're unlovable, unrespectable, unhonorable, maybe. And I don't know whether it's, it's evil um, that's been done to you or whether it's something that you've been a part of or gotten yourself into, but there's a chance that your story, as you, as you write the story, and I, I start to go through this passage and I, and I say, be respectful of leadership, be respectful of others, give people the benefit of the doubt. Um, you're nodding and you're going, yeah, okay, okay, I get it. And then I get to that point when, when I say, but respect yourself because of the identity you have in Christ. That, that causes a pause for some of you because it's really hard for you to see yourself as anything other than wounded or anything other than leftover overlooked, maybe scarred, damaged goods. And that's hard. That's really hard because it's a result of the sin that's in our world. And I understand that. I want to be very clear this morning that what God has calling us to do in respect of our own wounds, our own history, our own story, is to release and submit that to him and take on this new identity, take on this restored and redeemed and free persona that he's allowed for us. Let me read uh, something from Romans. There's a, a passage that I think just speaks so well to this. When, when we, we get kind of wound up at times, I think, on, on how we approach this whole story of the gospel, how do we get here? How do, we, how do we get to the point where we can actually be saved? And when, when Paul says in Titus chapter 3 that that's not by our own good works, that we've done nothing good to receive it, I think sometimes that resonates a little too much with people. Like they think, yeah, of course, I haven't done anything good. In fact, I haven't even done anything to deserve a gesture, a relationship with Christ. And the truth is you haven't. But here's what it says in Romans chapter 5, verse 6. He says, for while we were still weak, that's all of us. This is written to the church in Rome, Christians, people who were not Jewish 
uh, in origin. They didn't have this, uh, this narrative story that we read in all the Old Testament. They were people just like you and me who are processing, wrestling through a, a difficult community, uh, a hard story, a hard past. They were processing through some of the, the evil in their world, some of the evil done to them and some of the evil they participated in and saying, how in the world could I call myself righteous or how, how in the world could I call myself respectable or, or respectful in this environment where I live and what I've done and my story is too dark, too deep. My past goes back too far in order for me to actually say, sure, I respect myself because of what Christ did. Paul says this in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, while we were still weak, while we were still in that moment of weakness, that frustration, that discouragement over who God was and what he was doing, over or, sorry, over who we were and what we were doing, at the right time, Christ died for who? If you read along, it says for the ungodly. Christ died for the ungodly, not the people that cleaned up their act and figured it out. Not the people that were respectable or honorable. For one would scarcely die, verse 7 says, for one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And I want you to hear that so clearly this morning. If you haven't before, if you haven't embraced it, if you haven't fully let it sink in to your heart, that while you, while I was, a still, was still a sinner, while I was still living in ignorance, living in sin, blinded, scarred, wounded, whatever you want to call it, without righteousness or any good works, while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. And when he died, his blood paid the price for my sin, covering over, offering forgiveness for all of that sin. And everything in my past was wiped away. And he was offering for me to stand clean in the presence of God, washed by the water of the word, regenerated by the work of the Holy Spirit, with a new identity, a new identity that we could take pride in, literally to be proud of what God has done for us and in us and allow for us to stand with a respectable identity. And so when I say respect yourself, respect what God has given you in that new identity, you could stand with confidence in his presence knowing that God has given you new life, a new story, a new future, a new identity that has nothing to do with your past. It's, it's easy sometimes, I think, for, for us to overlook the, the simplicity of, of this new identity. We, we kind of breeze past it at times in church. Yeah, yeah, well, we're new in, in Christ. Well, we have a new life in Christ. You might hear us say that often. Or we've been forgiven. We've been redeemed. And I just want to pause for long enough this morning for you to understand that what God is calling you to is so profound that it literally obliterates every ounce of fear, every scar, every stain, every misstep, every misspoken word, everything to take on this new identity in Christ and to say, I stand clean, restored, redeemed with confidence and respect for the new person that I am in Christ. Not because of good works I did, because of what he did, that I can step forward in that. It's a beautiful story. And so I want to I just close this morning in prayer.
and recognizing there's a chance that you may you may be wrestling with this idea of of respect. For those of you who who would say, yes, I am secure in my identity in Christ. The, the message is simple for us. The message is very simple. Respect authority, respect others. Do it. They might deserve it. Do it anyway. That's the message this morning. For those of you who would wrestle with that third point, though, and, so, and when I say self-respect or respect yourself, respect what God has given you, that's, that's hard. I want to give you an invitation to join me in this prayer to say that God has redeemed restored and forgiven your story to the point where you can have self-respect because of who you are in Christ. Not because of what you've done, but because of who you are in Christ. And so I want to just uh, give you a simple invitation to pray along with these words. Maybe just, just repeat them as you hear them come across the screen. And allow for the forgiveness of Christ to rush over you for him to redeem your story, for him to give you a new future, and to give you a new degree of respect. Let's pray. God, I have an identity of sin. I've lived in ignorance, rebellion, disobedience, I've been a slave to passion, wounded by the evil I've done and the evil done to me. I confess these things before you now. I want a new identity. I want to be forgiven. And I believe that Jesus Christ died to cover my sin and the sins of the world. To forgive my sin and the sins of the world. And then he was resurrected so that I too could be raised to this new story, new identity in Christ. I want to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus. I want to live in this new forgiven life. So save me, God. Not by works that I've done, but by your grace. Give me a respectable identity, a respectable life, and a respectable story because of what you've done. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you're processing through, this is the, called the gospel. We call it the gospel because it means good news. I want to just read. I'll close this morning by reading the gospel, the good news. It says, he saved us. Saved us. Literally saved us from death. Saved us from eternal punishment. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. By washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that being justified by grace, we might become heirs. So that by 
being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And so for those of us who have embraced that new story, embraced the forgiveness by his grace, we have become heirs. We have been invited to the royal family to be a part of the kingdom of God forever. We are washed, we are clean, we are stored, and we are respectable because of the clothes Jesus has given us in him. That is the story that's being offered. That is what our future entails. And when we stand in that spot and when we get to that point, who are we to withhold respect from anyone else? Respect authority, respect others, respect the identity God's given in you, respect yourself and what he's done for you. Have a great Sunday. Thanks for joining us and I will see you next weekend.